0: Hey everyone, it's Jacob here, host of the show. It's been a bit since the last episode, but that doesn't mean I haven't been working on it. If you're dealing with a couple of personal issues as well as technical issues, I finally finished the new episode, so thank you all for bearing with me. While I was growing up, I always had the feeling that I wanted to do something in this world that I felt mattered and would impact people and the culture of my generation and the generations to come. Yeah, I know it seems like a crazy thing for a 16-year-old to be dreaming about, but It really was, and I'm still trying to realize that dream today in the form of My Art Is Real and this very podcast. Today's guest never set out to change the world or impact the culture, but somehow through a series of events, ended up being the curator for one of today's most well-established and respected galleries of new contemporary art. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson. This is the My Art Is Real podcast, episode 16, Andrew. Right after the break. This episode is brought to you by the Beautiful Bazaar Art Prize. If you are an artist, now is the time to enter the contest and showcase your work on their international platform and have a chance to win $50,000 in prize money. You have until midnight on July 17th, LA time to enter the contest. To enter and find all the information, go to beautifulbazaarartprize.art. If you enjoy the podcast and want even more content while supporting us, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash and sign up today for only $3 a month. That's less than one cent a day. Thank you for your support and enjoy the episode.
1: I'm Andrew Hosner. I'm one of the uh, co-owners. Uh, there's three of us. And uh, the head curator ThinkSpace. Uh, I'm uh, 53, maybe 54 actually. Uh, just had a birthday and, um, we've been doing this for coming up on 18 years now. We opened up back in the, uh, the fall of 2005.
0: While Thinkspace is a huge part of Andrew's life, I want to go back and learn more of who he was before Thinkspace and discover what kind of person he was growing up. So where did you grow up exactly?
1: I grew up in, uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, kind of like, uh. The lower left corner of the mitten as people show you michigan um is, is the normal thing to do in the midwest but uh uh it was like literally known as like the halfway point between um chicago and detroit because a lot of uh businesses went back and forth between the two uh centers um and that's kind of where i grew up and got my culture i would go to detroit for uh like metal concerts and stuff i was metalhead and then you know I would go and get sports and you know, other culture in Chicago because my dad was a Cubs fan so I would probably be going to Chicago about you know probably about four or five times a year Um and then also you know probably headed up to Detroit probably about ten times a year for concerts and stuff like that at Harpo's and this other shithole called Todd's I think it was um, and yeah and that's just uh, right outside of Battle Creek too is where Kalamazoo was and like Kalamazoo back then they have these like little uh, it was like a whole campaign like yes there really is a Kalamazoo and there's t-shirts and like, little buttons and everything, and that was big time in, like, the 70s and early 80s, so it's funny. Like, up until, like, the 90s, I would still, like,
0: people are like, oh, that Kalamazoo? I'm like, yeah, that, that Kalamazoo. As an only child born to two school teachers, Andrew had a pretty good childhood. He was always a collector of sorts, which seems to come from his father. He and his dad had a great relationship, and they would spend quite a lot of time together, going to Cubs games and the flea market to collect new antiques and baseball cards, and much more.
1: So I was always a collector. Like I started out by collecting, like, you know, and I guess, like probably I mean, I remember having a lot of hot wheels and graduated to baseball cards and actually comic books. and then I got a stick of comic books. and then I actually, my dad was always a, like a big antique person and political buttons collector. So he was constantly the kind of like one of those guys that was always like moving and shaking and flipping stuff here and there at flea markets and various things. so he he knew there was outlets for things and i had amassed a pretty good comic book collection but i had become bored with it and started collecting baseball cards and he was just like well, you should sell your comic book collection and buy more baseball cards and i was like well but i ended up getting like multiple thousands of dollars for my comic book collection um looking back should have held on to it because i had some gems um but this was like i'm gonna say like early 80s like 82 83 and then um started you know investing and you know went really heavy into baseball cards for a good like four or five years and from my dad and I to kind of stay bonded through those weird teenage years so like when from the time I was 13 to 17 I was you know in regular you know kind of communication with my dad which I think is kind of unusual for that age but uh we just had this thing with you know we'd go to flea markets and I'd look for baseball cards and he'd be local buttons. my mom would just tag along and enjoy the ride and be getting, keeping an eye out for both of us so to speak.
0: Growing up as a kid were you outgoing like was it very easy for you to to make friends or were you shy what were you like kind of growing up super shy
1: super shy and on top of that you know i had red hair so i mean back then it wasn't cool to have red hair it seems to be almost kind of cool to be a ginger these days but uh and my parents were both teachers in the same school system that i was going to school in so uh yeah i didn't have the greatest childhood in terms of just that i mean i had a great childhood in terms of like my parents were awesome super spoiled and like, what I wanted and got because I was an only child and whatnot. But, I mean, in terms of, I mean, I had, like, maybe two close buddies um, when I was younger. And then in my middle school years, I maybe had two close buddies. And I've kept in touch with nobody that I went to high school with.
0: The clerk Andrew was hanging out with didn't have many aspirations in life. And while he didn't know either what he wanted to do, his parents being teachers made it very clear that he should go to college. And so he did He signed up to take marketing classes, but before long, he would end up being offered a job. He just couldn't refuse.
1: I started college and then I started doing college radio and doing like the Friday Night Metal show. And from there, that led me to get in pretty tight with the Relapse Records crew, which is uh, like a metal grindcore label out of uh, the Philly area that's been around for about probably about 25 years now. And at the time, they were just starting to get their shit together and like thinking about starting uh, to have a promo department and stuff like that. And I was like maybe six months into a horrible college career where I just could tell I did not want to do another you know, three and a half years of it. Um, and I was going to school for uh, marketing um, at the time, just figuring it was kind of broad reaching. I could figure something out. And uh, those these guys, uh, Matt, that ran Relapse back in the day, just kept talking to me and talking to me. And we were keeping in touch. And then ended up getting a job at uh, a local music store on top of running the radio show. And I started. Uh, like doing a lot of the metal buying, and I started a little metal department there where you got all the LPs and CDs would be in one section and stuff like that. Just And that just further ingratiated me with um, relapse. And then they offered me, uh, they're like, hey, do you want to come out and start your career? I was like maybe 20. And uh, my mom was totally out about the notion of me moving from Michigan now to, to Pennsylvania. But uh, I've always had pretty supportive folks, and they went for it, and they gave me some money, and I moved out there on a whim. And uh, ended up working for them for, gosh, man, maybe 10 or 11 years.
0: It was at this job that Andrew was able to travel the world. And doing all this traveling really opened his eyes to more parts of the world and more ideas of thinking.
1: Started doing, like, international sales for them. And I got to go to, like, London, uh, Nice, which is in France. And um, uh, forgetting where in Germany right now. Crazy. Um, but anyways, in Germany, like, uh, once they, like, couple times a year, each of those places for about five or six years, I was doing international sales. And then I moved on to some other things at the label. But that just really opened up my worldview and started going to like amazing museums all around the world and stuff like that.
0: How did it feel for you to be so young and uh, doing, I mean, already kind of in your career and doing this incredible job and traveling in your early 20s? I mean, how did that feel? Oh, it
1: was dope, man. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, it's just Made me a uh, a better person for sure. If I didn't get to do all that traveling and see all that stuff when I was in my early twenties, um, I think it definitely kind of changed a lot of my world view. And me, my folks and I will argue all the time about shit just because I mean they've got that closed minded kind of Midwestern view on, on things sometimes, you know. And you know, and then I'd look back and remember some of the stuff my grandma would say, and I'd be like, oh god, grandma.
0: Andrew never seemed to think too much ahead, never worried too much about dating and getting married and starting a family. He figured he would just let life happen. And sure enough, his now wife Sean came into his life.
1: Met my wife. She was working at our distributor um for the label. We were just buddies for the longest time. And then one thing led to another and I think uh like the summer of two thousand and one I came out here to see her and just see you know to see if we clicked, see what would happen and uh, um ended up like really like hitting it off um and i was supposed to fly back the morning of uh, 9 11 uh true story and um we woke up and uh we're sitting there laying in bed like watching everything unfold she kind of looked at me and she's like you're not getting on a flight today and i'm like i bet you there's no flights today if i wanted to get on one and um then of course Course, you know within minutes my mom's calling me like, "Aren't you supposed to fly today? You're not on." I'm like, "Mom, I don't think there's going to be any flights today," you know. And then you know, after sure enough, there weren't any flights for a number of days. I think within a day or two of that happening, we were out and about, and ended up going to see a show at the Troubadour. And to this day, I can't remember who the fuck it was, neither can my wife. But um some metal show we went to just because I'm like, oh, "I was still in town, I might as well go." And the guys from Century Media were there, who was like a competing metal label, and they saw me and they were just like, "Oh, what are you doing out here?" And I kind of told them. And, you know, um one of them I'm pretty good at the time I was pretty good buddies with, so I was being a little bit more, you know, open with them and told them that, you know, I'm like I kinda of fallen for Sean's he's pretty cool and stuff. And he's just like, well, What are you gonna do? You work at a relapse. I'm like, yeah, I'm like Matt's hinted at the fact that I could do a home office if I wanted to. I think he got he was starting to get the wind that I was thinking about doing something. And uh I don't know, I just uh I just didn't have the I don't know, I just couldn't see doing like a, a, a one guy in the Bedroom type thing without the vibe of an office. Um, this wasn't me. And Century Media kind of offered, like, "Hey, why don't you come in tomorrow and you know talk with us?" And I was like, "Oh, crazy!" And I'm like, "That's an interesting little ripple." So I did. Ended up staying like an extra week more with Sean because we were really hitting it off. And then uh by the time it was time to fly back to Pennsylvania, she ended up. We had made it all. All the plan that I was going to pretty much go back, break it to them that I was leaving. And then she'd come back, you know, she'd fly in like about three, four days, three, four days later, and then help me pack up. And then we'd drive out, you know, drive out here with all my stuff. And that's basically what we did, because I knew once I told them they were going to want me the heck out, uh, especially if I was going to Central. And they did. They weren't too happy about it. Looking back, understandably so.
0: As we said at the beginning of this episode, Andrew was always a collector at heart. From comic books to then baseball cards, Andrew then got into heavy metal and soon began collecting heavy metal posters and memorabilia. But somewhere along the way, he finally got into collecting artworks.
1: Like I was saying, once I started traveling Europe and things like that, just getting exposed to more and more art, I started filling up my personal apartment with like uh, Mucha prints and dolly prints and things like that. So like the first time um, my wife came over to, to visit me, like when we were just dating, and saw my apartment in philly she was kind of blown away because she was just like oh, i was expected beer signs and metal you know posters and i'm like oh well three years ago you would have saw that but <laughs> I'm, I'm growing up but she was super impressed by that and she was like really into barry mcgee and like she knew a little bit more about the juxtapos side of things than i did at the time and then um when when i moved out here that's when we really started like going to art shows all, all the time and then uh Within like six months ago, you know, going out to our shows pretty regularly, we decided that, you know, we both had some prints and this that, and another thing. Maybe it was time to start buying some originals. And, you know, we had both gotten, you know, pretty good jobs. And yeah, we slowly started buying originals. And, um, you know, the rest is history. As I say, we now got like five or 600 pieces. But um, I mean, my, like our house is covered floor to ceiling. But then people that know us from like when we were kids get it because like Sean's mom was like, similar but just with like kitschy like kind of midwest southwest type artworks and you know horse stuff and things like that and like little knickknacks everywhere and her mom and grandma made quilts all the time so the house was just filled with everything and my folks were like massive antique collectors and like literally floor to ceiling just everywhere and like you know and when i started you know and kiss my my room was floor to ceiling kiss posters everywhere and then when i transitioned comic books it was floor to ceiling like framed comics and then it was floor to ceiling framed like you know baseball cards and framed and autographed posters and you know i mean uh uh pictures of baseball players and stuff like that and then um it slowly you know started transitioning you know when i got out of moved out on my own it was just like a lot of just metal posters and stuff like that but again i mean looking back it was always art i guess in some form or another even i didn't really realize it at the time
0: What's most important about the way that Andrew and his wife collect artworks is that they're not trying to get some work that they believe is going to grow in value and they can flip and make a profit. They collect works purely for the love of the art, for the love of the find, and they just want to share these works with people who come into their home and people who come into their office. Like, they just want to share it with the world.
1: My wife and I never have had kids. Um, we're both in our mid-50s now. We're not naive enough to we even want to do that to ourselves at the stage. um so our art collection's kind of like our legacy, you know I mean at least our name will be somewhere somewhere in a you know a museum somewhere for you know many years to come if we do it right. I mean, and that's our plan. I mean we've we've never put anything. Um, we've got a pretty good rep amongst galleries because there's so many collectors that and i and I get it, it's part of what the art world is. I mean, it's ultimately a commodities type you know portfolio building adventure for a lot of people. But um, we've always bought just for the pure love of buying art. I mean, we'll buy something from a huge blue chip artist, uh, you know, on Friday, and the next day we're out at like some, you know, studio, some up and coming artist who might not ever, you know, paint one thing after they get out of college, but we love it. It makes us smile, so we'll buy it. You know? and, and, and those type of things hang next to each other in every room of our house and here in my, you know, office here at the gallery that I'm talking to you, at, you know, because people come in my office all the time and it's filled with art.
0: Andrew never had dreams of being gallery owner or even art curator. All of that was sort of just a natural progression of what he and his wife are doing as art lovers. They would spend a lot of time in L.A. just going around to different openings, looking for art to collect. And at that time, it was harder to find out about these new shows. But Andrew would do his best to keep track and ended up with a list of all the shows he wanted to attend. And they would just attend a bunch of them that month or whatever.
1: At the time, um... My wife and I um, were becoming, like I said, we were becoming pretty ardent collectors. And due to that, I was like kind of very, I've always been super attentive and super like overly organized, as my wife will say, and uh, a massive list keeper. Um, I love keeping lists and scratching things off. It's just one of my joys. I was creating a pretty intense list of what shows I wanted to go to each week because back then, Juxpost didn't even have a website um and they'd come out quarterly back then and at the bottom of the opening night photos that they used to share back then there'd be like this little bitty like maybe seven font listing of like all the shows that were coming up for the next couple months because you know those were the more underground shows and it's not like these galleries were you know really advertising like some of the you know the bigger galleries in town were so it was easier to figure out what was going on so you had to really kind of have your ear to the, the pavement and, you know take notes and stuff and uh a, a buddy at my uh uh, label i was uh at relapse at the time was just like you know he was into art and i started sharing it with him and he was just like man this is a pretty cool comprehensive list that you put together each week we should start sharing it with somebody and uh he, he was cool enough to like started like a little uh web page for me i uh we were big collectors of brendan monroe at the time and he was doing this little bitty zine back then that was all around his little sour character and he called it sour harvest and I was just like, man, I love that name. Do you mind if I use that name for my art blog? And he was just like, Yeah, man, I'll even do a little logo for you. And I was like, dude, you rule! Cool. And um we started like making little postcards that said, like, you know, the latest underground shows, you know, come check out sourharvest.com. And you know, within about a month, maybe I'd say about three, four months, we had like, you know, a couple thousand people on our mailing list. We had a little sign up list. And and it was getting to be where, like, you know, people see us out and about at, you know, shows and see us putting down the postcards. And they're like, are you guys Sour Harvest? And my wife and I would be like, yeah, they're like, we're here tonight because we you saw it on your site. And it, was, it started becoming like a thing. For, and after about a year, we were building momentum and like 1988 gallery had opened and they were putting us on the back of each of their postcards for their shows just to kind of be like, you know, for other things in the L.A. art world, be sure to check out Sour Harvest. And then we curated a couple of little shows around town. and um, so anyways.
0: One of these underground shows that they would often attend was put on by a little art group called Cannibal Flower, which was by one of Thinkspace's co-founders, Elsie.
1: We were going to a lot of the Cannibal Flower events. And Cannibal Flower is, I mean, it's its still an entity. He does some things here and there. Um, but back then, there was that big, like, uh, kind of warehouse fire in San Francisco, like, sometime around, like, the mid-2000s. I don't know if you remember. But, like, at the time, that, like, just made, like, Live, work, artist lofts kind of became like impossible. Um, and like, and like a lot of real estate people that dealt with uh, warehouses and stuff just stopped dealing with like short-term rentals and stuff like that. But before that, in the heyday of like Cannibal Flower on this, there was another one back then called Create Fixate. But basically, they were like a once a month art rave, for lack of a better term, um, even though they're far removed from what a rave is today. But basically, I mean, LC and the girl that you would do Create Fixate back then, back then, they realized that there was a shortage of places for up-and-coming artists. That there was a lot of places for established artists and artists that, like you know, went to you know, the Pasadena School of Design and all the proper places. But like you know, the self-taught downtown, you know, kind of punk rock artists, there wasn't a, a lot of outlets. And at the time, LC was actually working at uh, La Luz de Jesus as a cashier, and he constantly saw how many people were coming in to show billy their work <clears throat> and we're leaving all bummed out that you know billy either didn't like it or you know was just too busy and couldn't take him on um so lc with a friend there at la Luz was just like "Fuck, oh, man we should just start some sort of pop-up crazy event you know and lc was always into music and his partner was too so basically they started cannibal flower and um and like i was saying just once a month he would find a through through his context and you know as cannibal flower grew i think people just knew who I was and they were like oh yeah sure come on in and use the spot and i think realtors looked at it as it was getting a bunch of people into their spot to check it out maybe they might rent it or something and and he would he would get permission to have the spot for like a couple days and he'd come in and hang the show like saturday afternoon and then saturday night i mean there'd be like it was usually anywhere from 80 to 100 artists um and then probably three or four performances, a couple bands, and you know, ten bucks to get in, got you two beers, and then you know, each additional beer was like five bucks or something like that. And I'd say back back in its heyday, I mean, there would always be three to four, five hundred people at each one. And um just a great, great, like super like LA moment, you know, moment in time. You know, there's nothing like it now. And there I don't think you could ever recreate the vibe. Um, but like, you know, so many of like the huge artists. You know, of, of today, their start there, you know, there's so many artists that can say they still sort of showed a campbell flower back in the day. It's kind of wild. And my wife and I just became like regular patrons. We would go to almost everyone and almost every show we'd buy something because you could always walk away with something pretty rad for
0: two, three, four, five hundred bucks. It was then one day that Andrew, Sean and Elsie ended up hanging out and chatting with each other. At the time, it didn't feel like much, but that chat would end up being the moment that would lead to the creation of Think Space, and one of the most important things in all of their lives.
1: In early 2005, he he got the opportunity to have this little bitty spot off of Melrose, um, and he called it Art Annex. And he had done maybe three, four shows there. We were there one day hanging out. Um, we were picking up a piece that we had bought from uh, Ikundayo, an artist that we still work with to this day. And he had uh, he had the piece there to pick up, so we went there to pick it up. And we were just hanging out talking and it was a cool little spot i mean like the size of like uh i think it was maybe 250 square feet and um, he was telling us that you know a friend a friend had, uh, had had the property for a number of years and was letting them rock it and we're like oh cool and we're just shooting shit shit and a fellow artist a friend of ours they by the name of Nathan Sport who is still active and uh show to this day um real cool sur- surrealist pop surrealist artist um was hanging out there with us and so as we're sitting there hanging out um, with LC that day at the art annex, Nathan Spore was just like, well, why don't you guys like combine your powers, you know? He's just like, you guys, you know have a great eye. you know you've already got a great website, you know, with star Harvest,' other thing. you've got a great following there. And oh, you've already know all the artists and you have a lot of buyers already, but it seems like you know, but he just wasn't very business minded, so to speak. And at the same time at the time, we didn't really know what we were doing in terms of like hanging on a art show or stuff like that whereas he was hanging one every day every week for you know years so we just kind of were like this could be cool and I, we were just sitting there hanging out having a smoke and shooting shit and um and then nathan's like man you guys should just team up yeah and, and we were like maybe maybe and he's just like why don't you guys take over this spot called think space and we all just kind of looked at each other like That'd be cool and we kind of started vibing on the name and stuff and um within a, like a week it just became a reality and then like these two girls nicole and suzette that are still in our world and suzette still helps us with the website to this day but um that we didn't even really know we in retrospect we like once we started talking to them stuff on MySpace, stuff back part of the going we found out that like oh no remember we met you that one night at the uh 1988 benefit show blah blah, blah. And we're like oh yeah I remember you guys are blah, blah, blah. but they got wind that we were doing this and then they hit us up one day out of the blue, but the way their wording was was so awkward that they were basically like, hey man, we heard you start the think, blah, blah, blah. We we got the website for you. But the way we read it, we thought they were like trying to like, you know, that was in the early days of the, the dot-coms, and there was a lot of like, you know, buying websites and trying to And we're <laughs> like, fuck, is somebody
0: trying to do that to us?
1: and um and then it was funny that, but then we opened up a conversation with them and they were like no we were worried somebody was going to do that to you and we noticed that you hadn't secured the name yet so we got you you know your .com. blah blah and we're like oh you guys rule and then they you know and they were both just um programmer um type girls so they gave us a lot of pointers on what to do early out and they helped us like you know, made sure that we got us got our myspace locked in right away and this, this thing and um and then they ended up buying us our first sign for the first gallery and no they've been family ever since ever since but it was just one of those like the community back then was so strong that once we really started kind of getting it all going um the buzz on us was crazy and then when we opened our first show we had near near one who's like a legend um painting a huge piece on one side of our gallery and then on the back of the gallery we had buff monster painting a mural and he had a girl that he was dating at the time that was in uh, the adult film industry um helping him and um she was pretty much naked most of the night like so it was a spectacle um and we had like shut down most of melrose and the side street that we were on was completely blocked and there was probably like i mean i would say like if we packed people arm to arm that gallery would have holded maybe 40 people and there was probably like 500 people there um we just LC started spinning in the back lot. Uh, the people on the balconies across the street were out like partying and shouting down, and like, you know, just interacting with the crowd. I mean, it became a thing. And then we were kind of like, maybe this is what we were meant to do.
0: But as soon as they started to build up this steam and this momentum, the space they were using was just taken away from them. And they were left struggling to figure out where they were going to curate their lineup of shows.
1: Five months into it, the guy was that was letting LC rent the space who we had never even met to be honest didn't know his fucking name it was just like how stupid we were to be honest looking back um, one day we're, we're, we weren't even there LC just calls us up and was like yo man this dude just came in blah, blah, blah. I can't remember his name Mark let's call him and uh, he told me that uh, he wants the spot back at the end of the month that he's going to give it to his wife and she's going to turn it into a hair salon which oddly enough to this day 17 years later it's still a hair salon so God bless her she did well but uh, um, I was just thrown by about maybe two months ago and I was baffled. I'm like, wow, she's still great. But anyways, um, we were just like, what? And I was like, dudes, I'm sorry, man. It just wasn't meant to be. And it was just kind of like a maybe it wasn't meant to be type thing. And I was just like, fuck that. And literally like a week prior, one of the artists that we worked with, Leslie Repito, had just curated a show, the front part of Logan Hicks in the studio, who's a really world-renowned uh, stencil artist, who's still like really popular to this day. And it was out in Silver Lake. Um, and I was just like... And that's just... I, for some reason, it just popped in my head. And I'm just like, man, maybe he would just let us do a couple shows in there like he did for Leslie. And I was just looking for something pla- like a Band-Aid at that point. Because I knew we weren't going to be able to find a spot right away. And June was going to be our first show with Lola. Who now was known as Lola Gill. And just got signed by, I think, Nicodeme. She's I mean, her, I mean, she's huge now. But we ended up doing her first couple solo shows. But this was to be her first solo show. It was booked and everything. And I mean... I think at the time, if I remember, correctly, we had dinner first at Juxtapose. And then all of a sudden, we didn't have a gallery. and We were just like, what the fuck? And I was just like, I think my ego just wasn't going to let me, like, def- call, declare defeat. And I was just like, I got to go out. And I just cold drove out. I remember hitting up Leslie. And she was just like, just go out there. This is going to be your best bet. And I just drove out and knocked on the door. Logan answered the door and told him my story and what was up. And, you know, he's like, Remembered me and knew who Space was. He had heard like the buzz and stuff, and he's like, "So what are you asking?" And I kind of pitched it to him, and he's just like, "How about this?" He's like, "How about I clean out the front? You guys have the front. I'll keep all my stuff in the back, and we just split rent." And he's like, "That would help me out immensely," and we were like, "Fucking amazing," you know? And um, and we did that, and for about maybe br- I'd say maybe six months, that was the scenario, and then he ended up uh, deciding to move to New York and um, get married and start a family, which is what he's done. And uh, he was like, you guys want to, you know, take over the lease? He's just like, I got this lease for a song. <laughs> it's like, I think we're paying for bucks a month back then or something like that. It's crazy. I, but also 15 years ago. But, um, and we were like, fuck yeah. And then at that point, that's when we really started to go for it. And then really, you know, and then we got the doers, the girls shook up. and You know, for a couple of years, things were just going crazy out there.
0: Thinkspace quickly grew, became a big deal out in L.A. with huge exhibitions and different parties. And they also grew outside of that uh, by advertising and magazines like Juxtapose and using social media. They were able to build a pretty large audience around the world.
1: Like our first really big group show, Picks of the Harvest, that was like a, became a it became an annual thing for a number of years. But L.A. Times gave us a big write-up on that when um, we were still on Silver Lake and just really kind of hyped the, just how different it was because you know it just had every style under the planet and all sizes next to big sizes and salon style and stuff like that we're always baffled when we're when we do something anywhere outside of LA people know us I mean I know that we've advertised and exposed and we've done our due diligence over the years but still I mean there's 8 billion people in the fucking world and I mean there, there's 20 new artists that catch my eye every day so even when I think I'm like fucking killing it, I'm just like, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's impossible to keep up. So when we're like a gallery or like doing an art fair in London or doing an event in Berlin or or whatever, we just did a big show in Hong Kong and people are just like buzzing and loving and I fucking love, 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 love blah, 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 blah. It's still baffling to me. Um, uh, I, I try to remain humble. I think maybe that keeps us grounded and stuff. I mean, we've had offers over the years to open up and... Japan and Hong Kong and New York and everything like that, and and we've just always said no. We just feel that if it's not us and not our vibe, even if we're curated, it just it's just it's just got to be the family that it is. I mean, we've had the same director now for 11 or 12 years. Um, Anthony, our graphics and warehouse manager, has been with us since day one. He was one of the. I mean, he's even been in almost every group show since day one. I mean, well, a lot of people that were in our first group show are still showing with us to this
0: day. And how does it feel with your curation now? Does it feel like something you were meant to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I feel very blessed to do it because, I mean, every... I mean, like, what we do changes people's lives, I mean, to a great degree. I mean, when my wife had her... When we shared with the world that, you know, she had stage for cancer a few months ago, I mean, it was kind of wild because most people don't get their flowers ever you know, when they're alive. And, um, so many people sent us notes of, uh, just mind blowing notes. Especially, I mean, more good for her, but a lot of it was, you know, you guys, I mean, and even if not, I mean, just seeing the love for her, but just how many people just wrote to us saying that you guys changed our lives. I mean, people we hadn't heard from in like 10 years. Um, uh, sorry. Oh,
0: you're good, man. Um, you're good.
1: That was wild, man. Um, She's fighting it and she's an amazing person, but uh it was pretty crazy how many people reached out and just were like, Man, I just want you guys to know what you did for me and uh it's just something you don't usually hear. And uh no, so the last like few months have been pretty special all around and now that she's kind of uh, you know, getting well getting as good as can with stage four, but I mean everything is looking great. Like your markers are down and no new growth and stuff. We're doing all sorts of alternative remedies, Eastern stuff and doing all sorts. And you know, there's lots of stories from some of the stuff we've done where people beat it. So we're holding on to that. But um, regardless, now that we're back out in the mix, you know, it's, it's out there, so to speak. Um, I mean, people that are just coming up to us at shows and events and stuff that, I don't know. You know, we counted them as friends. I, I don't know how to put it that are just coming up and sharing so much love that it's just really kind of like, wow, this is what we were meant to do. You know, I mean, we've known that for a long time, but now to like really, I mean, just to have heard like probably in the last few months, there's hundreds of stories of people that are just really being honest and just like, Whoa, dude, it's like, if you wouldn't have done this, this, this and this wouldn't have happened for me. And then when you keep reading it and reading it and you're just like, wow, fuck man, that's kind of heavy. It's pretty dope.
0: Often, people don't come and tell you how much you mean to them while you're alive. It's a shame that more people don't say these things to each other while they still can. So for Andrew and Sean to not only have so many come to them with all this love, but to have it come from people that they have inspired and changed through building this gallery and these incredible shows, it's just mind-blowing. For Andrew and Sean and everyone else at ThinkSpace, it's more than just a gallery. It's a legacy. They want to help and support artists and change the art world in the best way they can.
1: Because, I mean, this is our legacy, and it's going to be her legacy when she is gone. So, uh, yeah, the more I can do, especially with museums and stuff, because that's always been my thing. I, I, we've done art fairs, but we kind of all hit a wall like right before COVID, and then we not having done them now for a couple of years. We're like, Man, none of us miss them. They, they just bend you over, and it's just like a fucking shopping mall art i mean it's for that part of the art world that we just hate that we were talking about earlier i mean it's built to be a churn and burn and um it's also built to be able to have a you know a young artist be like five thousand dollars in january and then by the time you hit december and you've done 10 fairs and you know 10 different cities all of a sudden that five thousand dollar piece is fifty thousand dollars you know and i've seen it and because we started paying more attention to it the last couple of years because they collecting changed a little bit because we were just curious and wanted to battle a little bit because We had just collector friends that were just like, just buy, a couple, just buy a couple things that I tell you to, and I'm like, if I like them, sure. And we did a couple times, and then you're just like, what the fuck? it's just, it's an amazingly unbelievable to watch. Um, and in the last couple of years, we've had a couple of artists that are you know kind of on just the tail end of that comet, so to speak, and then recently, like Roby Duyantono, um. Had his big solo show with us, and then you know that the show was barely a year and a half ago. and Pieces from that show that were like twenty five hundred dollars now flip for like thirty to thirty five thousand dollars. I mean, it's it's, it's it's you know, we kind of joked, down I wish we would have bought four or five. But at the same time, we wouldn't flip them. This just, that's just not who we are, and you know, we're comfortable. We don't need to be bougie. We don't need a bigger house. Our house is filled with amazing art. We got great cats, and we're happy. um We don't have a lot of money in the bank, but I mean, we probably got it million dollars on the walls if we ever did want to sell it but i not see that happening and our goal is to leave it all to a museum you know. i mean so it goes like, I, said, like what I was saying earlier that's that's going to be our legacy and as long as we can you know i was just going to say stay healthy but that's kind of sucks since everything that's going on with sean but i mean thankfully we've got really good insurance and it hasn't like bankrupted us but with that said we just did a big cancer charity just because we wanted to at least use what's happening to her as like some sort of vehicle to help others and we were able to raise I mean we're doing all the math on that show right now because it just came down but I mean I think we're you know, raised a good twenty five to $30,000 or more for cancer research which you know some people argue is bullshit but gotta try so uh, I don't know I mean uh we've always been with life hands you lemons try to make some lemonade type folks um, over the years Um this one was just a, a blow that none of us were expecting but uh it's one of those things that you just kind of like, fuck. You don't know, have too much of a family, and then you realize that, oh, we're assholes. We have a huge family. You know, it's kind of one of those. It's it's, it's a it's a it's a great wake up call. I mean, and not. Ugh, that's that's weird way to put it. Um, it was just wild to see like how much the community had. Around. Yeah, it was it was very uplifting.
0: Talking to Andrew was a breath of fresh air for me personally. It's like I keep saying when you hear these stories, you start to realize how similar sometimes your story might be to others and what you can relate to. And for me, it was refreshing to hear the story of someone who grew up outside of any kind of major art city and and didn't finish college and just followed his heart. Andrew did what he felt made him happy, and no matter where it took him, he made the best of it. And Along the way, he was able to build something that changed not only his life, but the lives of so many others. Thank you to everyone for listening and being there to support My Retro. I love making this podcast, and I really hope these stories can inspire all of you. This podcast takes so much time and energy to create as I'm doing everything myself. So if you want to help me produce better and bigger content, please consider supporting me and getting bonus content on the Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash My real. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Real Podcast. I will see you in the next one.